Hello and welcome to a special edition of Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow is the day. Uh, the first debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, we always get excited about debates and we always talk about how high the stakes are. But actually, I mean, my word, um, this is a big moment. It's a crazy campaign and a, and a crazy moment just seeing them face to face for the first time. You know, that this race has been so stable in so many ways, but also so unpredictable given the, given the way that the national events have unfolded that uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of eyeballs. I feel like there's going to be a big audience on tomorrow night. Uh, I, I think it's going to be huge. And I wanted to, you know, kind of prepare ourselves by, by getting a sense from somebody who's actually been there. And what I mean by there, somebody who's actually moderated uh, one of these debates, maybe even two of these debates, and somebody who I would say had been there in the middle of perhaps the single most insane set of circumstances surrounding a presidential debate in history. I don't even think there's a close second. The second probably be what we're going to see tomorrow. Uh, but do you recall the debate right after the Access Hollywood tape uh, broke? Uh, the debate when uh, the world thought that Donald Trump might just drop out of the race. Uh, a lot of Republicans were kind of hoping he would, that the campaign was over. Uh, do you recall? Do you recall that debate? I have a vague recollection of it. I've tried to block some of it from my memory, having <laughs> been part of that team prepping the individual that I think you're talking about. Yes. So um, the, the good thing is, if you look back at that debate, it is a a very good friend of the podcast, it turns out, was uh, was the moderator of that debate, uh, our own Martha Raddatz. And I believe if Trevor has pulled this off, Martha is actually on the line with us right now. Is that correct, Martha? Absolutely. Listening to every word. <laughs> so I, I've got to say, and, and, and Martha, you, of course, were not only right there in the middle, co-moderating with Anderson Cooper at that insane moment during the 2016 campaign, but you also were the sole moderator uh, in 2012 of the debate uh, between Joe Biden and uh, Paul Ryan. So you actually have served as a moderator in a debate between both of these guys. Uh, I don't think there's anybody else that, that has uh, a general election debate can, can say that. So we want to know what 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 is what is going through Chris Wallace's mind right now. He's preparing to do this. What what is it like uh, uh, to 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 be right there in the middle of this and preparing for something like this? Well, first of all, thanks to both of you because both of you uh, helped with those debates in so many ways and and helped prepare us all and we're parts and we're part of the team. So thanks to you. So you saw it up close there couldn't be anything more stressful. There really couldn't. And it, it, you, you sort of feel like the world is on your sh shoulders. You really want to, you want to do what you can to inform the American people. I think that's what I kept in my mind, but there's never, never been a debate like the 2016 debate. And I think you just have to tune it out. I mean, you have to tune out the noise and there was so much noise in that when it was like symbols clashing on your head because of that access Hollywood tape. And, you know, we wondered whether he, he would drop out. Uh, 
what it would be like. And just you just know right away what direction that's going. You, you can be terrified going in. You can be stressed out. But the second you hit that stage, you just put your head down and ask those questions. And, and keeping in mind at all times that you're really doing that to help inform voters. Martha, I was in the back of the hall for that 2016 uh, debate, uh, just you know, above the stage, um, preparing to cover it for ABC when all that was going on. And what I remember and, and found out some more details later is that, you know, of course, Donald Trump brought out the Clinton accusers, including, you know, Paula Jones that accused him of, of sexual harassment, Kathleen Willey, the same, Juanita Broderick, who had accused him of rape. And he, he brought these women out into a press conference right before the debate and then actually tried to seat them on the stage in the four seats set aside uh, for members of his family. So he tried to seat them. And, and the one thing that stopped it from happening right before the debate was, uh, was, was about to start was Frank Farenkoff, one of the co-chairs of, of the debate commission, said, no, no, that's family seats. That's not, you know, political props seats. D did you have any clue of the hijinks that was going on? I mean, how, and, and, and how did you stay focused if you did? Yes. The answer is yes. And and we were aware that they tried to seat the, the women in those seats and that it wouldn't be happening. And I think part of the reason that, that the moderators were told that is because, you know, there are TVs in back before you come out and you know what's going on. And I think they just wanted to say, don't you worry, when you go out there, they're not going to be in those family seats. You also, when you go out and you focus, I didn't even look in the audience. I, I caught a glimpse as I was going in uh, and could see who was out there. And one of the glimpses I caught was of my own family sitting uh, very near uh, the Trump family and others. Uh, so uh, that stayed in my mind. And I just went in and Bill Clinton was on the stage on the side when we went in. And I don't remember him making eye contact with anybody. And we just walked in and and focused as much as possible on exactly what we were doing there. But I, I have to say that was just tremendous pressure uh, to go out there and try to ignore all that that was going on, not only in the audience, but you knew television was going crazy with that just before we went on. I mean, I think it was an hour before he had that press conference. And I remember not wanting to even know every detail of that press conference, because that really wasn't going to be a, a big part of the debate. So we thought, but then Donald Trump turned to that uh, very soon after essentially apologizing for the excess Hollywood tape. Then, uh, of course, he went after Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and tried to turn the tables. Uh, Martha, one thing I'm struck by going back and, and watching the, the debates that you were part of and, and other debates is the, the way that these candidates in particular, they do try to involve the moderator. And you get called on in real time to fact check at times, to mediate disputes. What kind of, what kind of preparation went through your mind thinking about how Joe Biden might handle it and how Donald Trump might handle it? Two much different men who both found occasion to, to, get, to try to get you involved at times. Well, in 2012, it was clearly a, a deeply policy-focused debate. Uh, in 2016, not so much. But I think, you know, Joe, Joe Biden 
it brings up my past is covering the military and covering foreign policy. And, and it's very tempting to sort of get back at them. I think there was one little instance with Joe Biden uh, where I said something about something he'd said. And there was one with Donald Trump as, as well. But it's, you, you really have to kind of fight that instinct. And I think if it had gone any further and Joe Biden had, you know, turned the tables to me, I would have said, sir, I'm not debating than you. And, and you have to remember that because they do try to involve the moderator, whether it's attacking the moderator, uh, which, which Donald Trump certainly did, or just involving them in the conversation. I mean, we also remember back and um, the grief that Candy Crowley took for fact-checking Barack Obama, uh, or Mitt Romney rather, and in a way supporting Barack Obama. I think what you have to do is not say, wait a minute, he did say that, but you have to go in there knowing the facts and whether you use those as you approach the candidates as part of your question. I think that you can fact check as you ask questions. And then it's really up to the candidates to debate each other. And you have to keep that in your mind at all times. Well, let's play a bit, bit of that debate. Uh, uh, obviously, the, the vice president uh, was being uh, pressed by you uh, a little bit on the, the record of the Obama-Biden administration in, in foreign policy. Take a listen to this. Can you tell me, Vice President Biden, what was the military reason for bringing those surge troops home? The military the reason for bringing those, by the way, when the president announced the surge, you'll remember, Martha, he said the surge will be out by the end of the summer. The military said, the surge will be out. Nothing political about this. Before the surge occurred, so you be a little straight with me here too. Before the surge occurred, we said they'll be out by the end of the summer. That's what the military said. The reason for that is... The military you, follows orders. They, I mean, trust me, there are people sure who are concerned about pulling out. There are people the that are concerned, but not the Joint Chiefs. That was their recommendation in the Oval Office to the President of the United States of America. So, Martha, what goes through your mind? You, you, you know, you know where he's going with that. You know what he's trying to do in that moment. You don't want to get drawn into debating him, but clearly he's looking. He's looking to to to, to get you involved directly. You be straight with me, Martha. Yeah, exactly. And I and I, I think that question was pretty darn straight. Can you tell me, Vice President Biden, what was the military reason for bringing those surge troops home? I think there was a lot of debate at the time uh, about announcing when they'd come home, even before they went in. So that was the issue there. So he's trying to turn it. And I knew very well, and I suppose he should have known as well, that I had a lot of really good sources on uh, whether or not the military supported that that date to pull those troops out. So, so let's let's do one more moment, and, and at the risk of, uh, of PTSD on this one from <laughs> from the 2016 debate, which I, I I still am in awe of how you uh, how you and Anderson both worked to try to. <laughs> to to get control of that debate, which you did under those absolutely unbelievable circumstances, but let's let's play the moment where you tried to to to, to keep it on the rails. Everything he just said is absolutely false, but I'm not oh, surprised. Really? In the first debate, and we in the really, first the debate, audience needs to I calm told down people here. That it was Hillary Clinton wants to allow. And, and why did it morph into excuse that? Me, no, did me. you? No, answer the question. Why do you, you still believe? You I do. Me all the time. Why don't you Would interrupt you her? Would you please 
explain whether or not the Muslim ban still stands. I was against, and you can see it. I was against the war in Iraq, has not been debunked. And you voted for it, and you shouldn't have. Well, I just want to say— There's been lots say, of fact-checking on me. that. I'd like to move on excuse to an me. online question. She just went about 25 seconds over her time. She Could did I not. just respond to this, please? She said a lot of things that we, you, you I mean, I think we should we can, be allowed no, to maybe— No, Mr. Trump, we're going to go on. This is about the audience. Because she has been a disaster as a Mr. Trump, a we're disaster. going to move on. I mean, so that's obviously a montage of several moments of several <laughs> moments in yeah. the debate, which is what I meant. But but Martha, I mean, you know, he's trying to attack you as much as he is Hillary. Yeah, yeah. Go after the moderators, work the reps, do whatever you can. <laughs> I, I, I tell people that what what comes to mind a lot when I when I hear that, and I know no one will believe me on this, I had not watched I think I just told you this the other day, John. I had not watched either of those debates in their entirety until about a month ago. Uh, and, and basically in preparation for watching the upcoming debates, I wanted to watch them again. But I, I think being a parent helps. I mean, you want to listen to that? That sounds exactly <laughs> like you're telling your five-year-old what to do, right? Enough, enough. And I'm pretty sure I was holding up my hand and, and stop and do whatever you can. But I, I think you really just have to, you don't want to get into a, kind of a vivid back and forth, because then you do become part of it. But you, but you just have to shut that stuff down and, and keep track yourself of the time. And I knew I was on time and I knew we'd given each candidate uh, the same amount of time and the same amount of uh, pressure to uh, hold their tongue if they had to. Can, can I just ask you one, one thing that uh, would it, advice that the moderators this time around uh, are getting from Frank Farenkoff, again, one of the uh, co-chairs of, of the commission. Um, he is telling them that they should not uh, do fact-checking. And I want, I want to read you a couple of quotes and then kind of get, get your, your take on this. He said, um, this was on reliable sources, there is a vast difference between being a moderator in a debate and being a reporter who is interviewing someone. Um, he said that you, you fact check if you're doing an interview, but that is not the case in a debate. It is the role of the other person in a debate to be the one to raise that rather than the moderator. Uh, the minute the TV is off, there are going to be plenty of fact checkers on every newspaper and every television station in the world. That's not the main role of our moderators, he continued. So, I mean, certainly it's not a main role, but it is a role, isn't it? I, I think it's a role to... It, I, I think the difference is, and and Candy Crowley did a great job with that debate, but I think the difference is saying there's fact-checking on this that shows this or that, as opposed to he did say that, where you sound like you're supporting that candidate. I think you have to do it in a really straightforward way, and I think that's you know clearly why she was criticized. I, 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 that's just one of those moments – you know, we all make little things that everybody likes to pounce on. Being a moderator is kind of a no-win, a no-win job. But I think in in a very straightforward way, you have to set up a question, and the follow-up to the other candidate to help you fact check. On the other hand, you cannot fact check every single thing those candidates say. You can't. You have no one talking in your ear. You have no computer in front of you. I mean, you may have a giant hard drive of a brain where you can remember every single fact, but there has to be some something going in where you do want people to hear the truth. 
Martha, uh, before we go, I, just a thought on Joe Biden, because it, it was such a different debate, as you mentioned, much more policy heavy in, in, 20, in 2012. Uh, it, it also, it was just a more genial debate. I mean, the, the two men were there at the table and there was just a more personal warmth between uh, Joe Biden and, and Paul Ryan. There's just a quick exchange that I wanted to, to get your thoughts on that, uh, that we pulled. Uh, take, take a listen to this. This is a bunch of stuff. Look, here's the deal. What does that mean, a bunch of stuff? Well, it means it's simply inaccurate. It's Irish. <laughs> it's Irish. It is. <laughs> we Irish call it malarkey. Thanks for the translation. <laughs> Malarkey. But you, you may <laughs> yeah. hear the term come, come back, but it, it strikes me that, that just by personal style, they're just it's just so different. It's hard to imagine that the coming debate doesn't come off a lot more like a Donald Trump debate than a Joe Biden debate. But Biden's been through a lot of these. And uh, one of the one of the lasting images I have in my mind of, of the 2012 debate is Joe Biden smiling a lot. It's Joe Biden laughing and smiling. Paul, Paul Ryan as well. I think both of them felt good about it. I think one of the things I loved about that debate is it was very intimate. We're all at that table seated. So there's no candidate, you know, lurking around or standing up or, you know, going towards the audience or, or doing this or that. We were just seated at a table. It was more of a conversation in so many ways. That's what a debate should be, that, that you hear what that candidate represents and what they want to do for the country. They were both, uh, dare I say, gentlemen uh, during the debate and exchanged ideas, challenged one another. There were some laughs. Uh, it, 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 I think everybody walked off the stage that night. I know, I know Paul Ryan and Joe Biden did and just thought it was a fair debate and a great exchange of, of information policy and, and who those people were. I, I, I don't imagine on Tuesday they're both going to walk off with the same reaction, but we shall see. I we, don't either. We shall I see. Don't we shall see. Uh, Martha Raddatz, the great Martha Raddatz, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for taking time and joining us again on Powerhouse Politics, and we'll, we'll see you around the Bureau. Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a quick check in with our friends at 538 on really the, just the big question, do debates matter? And could this debate actually change the dynamic in this race? All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Galen Druk of our friends and colleagues at 538. Galen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I don't know if you heard our tease, the big question, we've had this race that really has seemed to be remarkably steady in, in, in terms of state polling, national polling, a uh, very steady race with a, with a Joe Biden lead, uh, Donald Trump um, uh, not leading. Uh, could, could this debate change that dynamic? I think there's a couple answers to that question, and one relies on history in terms of how debates have shaped past presidential elections, and then the other relies on the current polling and the trends that you mentioned. So we've seen that historically throughout the past several decades, debates can shift the polls a point or two, but also those shifts aren't always all that durable. So we think that in general, bounces from a good debate performance can last maybe two weeks. And also, it's not just the debate that matters, it's also how the media covers the debate. So there was actually a political science study done back in 2004 when we saw Bush debate Kerry. And audience members who watched the debate and then saw coverage from CNN's website thought that Kerry had won the debate. And audience members who watched the debate and then watched NBC's immediate analysis afterwards thought that Bush had won the debate. So the media here plays an important role in shaping perspectives. But there's another 
piece here that's important, which is that, as you mentioned, the polling has been very steady for months at this point. Right now, 538's polling averages show that Biden has about uh, 50% support and that Trump has about 43% support. So that would lead about leave about 7% of the public who isn't currently supporting either Trump or Biden. And that means they are either undecided or they're supporting a third party candidate or a write-in. And third party candidate slash write-in is about 3%. So you could say that of the vast American public, 4% of people are undecided and potentially persuadable through these debates. Galen, uh, my recollection of, uh, of debates featuring an incumbent president is that the incumbent kind of muffs the first one. I remember the Obama 2012 debate, the first one against Mitt Romney, the widespread feeling, I think the Obama folks would agree now, that, um, that Obama – uh, lost that debate and maybe let Romney back into it. And I remember 2004, Bush versus Kerry. It seemed like uh, George W. Bush was kind of kind of surprised to have someone challenging his record so directly in John Kerry. Both men obviously righted their ships. They ended up winning. But is there something to that? Is there some history there of uh, a president who's you know used to having the, the the final and only word as the president, uh, having a rough go of it in that uh, in that first debate? And does it matter? Does the first debate matter any more than the others? Well, I would say that the first debate might matter less because it's the furthest away from election day. So you have the most amount of time to, if you perform poorly as an incumbent, right the ship, so to say. And especially in these circumstances where we're going to have hyper-partisan Supreme Court confirmation hearings in the run-up to election day, honestly, I would be surprised if voters even remember the first debate by the time we get to November 3rd. But given, you know, understanding that people are already voting now and a lot of people are planning on voting early, whether by mail or in person. And so, you know, these debates can matter. Maybe some undecided voters will say, hey, you know, Trump or Biden did particularly well in that debate. So now I'm ready to cast my ballot. But again, the universe of voters that is open to being persuaded is so small at this point that it's hard to say that even if, uh, you know, Trump muffed it as the incumbent or something like that, that it would really change the dynamics of the race. Right now, we're in an environment of kind of anti-partisanship, negative partisanship, where people are, are even more motivated by their dislike of the other side than they are motivated by love of their own side. And so, I mean, you've done reporting out in the field. You've talked to a lot of people. I'm sure you don't find very many people who are like, well, I don't like Donald Trump, but you know, if he makes a really good point in the first debate, I might consider voting for him, right? We have at this point five years almost of a history with President Trump, and then we have you know, nearly a decade plus of Joe Biden being in the national spotlight and then being in the Senate before that. So perceptions of these people are pretty well formed at this point. All right, Galen, last question, the big one, big picture. Where does 538 have the race standing right now? So right now, as of late September, Donald Trump has a 22% chance of winning the election, and Joe Biden has about a 77, 78% chance of winning the election. There's, there's a little bit of a, there's a one point difference in that that only accounts for 99% because there's maybe a 1% chance or less that there is a tie in the electoral college. Um, you know, the race, as you mentioned, has not changed all that much on a national from a national perspective, Joe Biden is leading by about seven points. The race has tightened a little bit in places like Florida and Pennsylvania, although Joe Biden still has a decent lead, about five points in Pennsylvania, although somewhat less, maybe closer to three in Florida. And again, Joe Biden doesn't actually have to win Florida in order to win the election, whereas 
Trump almost certainly has to win Florida in order to win the election. And so in addition to the debates, the kind of one question that's up in the air is how the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett and the proceedings, her confirmation hearings, will whether or not they'll move the dial at all. We see in the average of polls over the past week, so since RBG passed away, Americans favor waiting to confirm a new Supreme Court justice, 52 to 39. So there's even more support for holding off on uh, appointing a new Supreme Court justice than there is for Joe Biden over Trump. That means that there are people who haven't really decided they're for Biden yet or that they're not for Trump, but who don't think that a new Supreme Court justice should be approved yet. So we will see if if this confirmation battle makes things even harder for Republicans. And, and is it your sense, because obviously it's state, it's state polling that matters, because we, we, we have this thing called the Electoral College. Is it your sense that there is a significantly more quality state polling in, 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 in the battleground states than there was four years ago? Absolutely. And I think our employer even in somewhat in some ways represents that. Right. ABC is doing state battleground polling, high quality polling, live phone call polling. Um, We're also seeing The New York Times do a lot more polling in the battleground states this time around. We've seen a lot more pollsters move to waiting by education. We heard a lot about that after 2016 in that pollsters were not catching enough of the non-college educated white voters. And so when you wait by education, you make sure that you are correctly sampling those voters so that you don't underestimate Republicans' performance, particularly in places like the upper Midwest. And we have seen high quality polling, lots of it. You know, we get we get polls in Pennsylvania almost every other day at this point. And, and so I think we do, in fact, have a better sense of what the race looks like in the states in 2020 than 2016. Now, you have to say that polling errors happen and they happen regularly, right? In 2012, there was even a bigger polling error than there was in 2016 nationally. It was just that it was in the right direction, so it didn't change the outcome of the race. We should go into election day expecting that the polls will not be perfect. They never have, but that doesn't mean that polling is broken. And polling is uh, has been working overtime this election to, to get us a snapshot of what things look like in the states. And of course, uh, there's there's lots of uh, room for further surprises. Uh, while we've been talking, the New York Times has just popped a story uh, about uh, long concealed records. The headline says shows Trump's chronic losses and years of tax avoidance. And I'm just going to close out the podcast with this little section from this uh, from the story. It says Donald J. Trump paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in federal income taxes the year he won the presidency. In the first year in the White House, he paid another $750. He paid no income taxes at all in 10 of the previous 15 years, largely because he reported losing much more money than he made. So, you know, we'll see. Who knows how this stuff plays out? Uh, Galen Druk, uh, the, the host of the 538 Politics podcast. It's great to have you on our podcast, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you regularly over the next five weeks. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Galen. Thank you. That is all the time we have for Power Us Politics. Trevor Hastings, thank you for working an extra day with us for this special edition of the podcast. We may be doing many more special editions, Rick, if you're up for it. I know I am. Avery Miller, thank you. And we will be back very soon. <laughs>